0: you should have an outline that says are true uh, discipleship. I struggle to come up with a title for this, apart from the parable of the sower, but uh, for what it's worth, I'm calling this sermon, True Discipleship. Now the CEO of the retail giant, online retail giant, Amazon, Jeff Bezos, is obsessed with customers. Uh, He loves customers, of course, perhaps because they bring him money, but he loves customers. And his favorite quote is, start with the customer, okay, and work backwards. Start with the customer and work backwards. And to make sure that Amazon does not forget its customers, every meeting at Amazon starts always as an empty chair. So the room is never just 100 percent full. There's always an empty chair in the room with no one sitting on it. would love to think that empty chair represents God, but no. Uh, that empty chair is a visual reminder to everyone in the room that customers are the most important. It's remind them to think of customers who are not, of course, present in the company board or anything else like that. Uh, in various meetings, just to make them think about customers at every stage of the decision that people make. Now when I thought about this, I thought, it is strange, isn't it? It is strange that a company that is all about selling to customers need to be reminded of the importance of listening to customers. You'd think it just comes naturally. Uh, but the truth of the matter is that, as Jeff Bezos reminds us, and as all of us know, uh, it is easy to hear, but difficult to truly listen. It is difficult to truly listen in a way that leads us to act on what we have heard. That is true in the home, it's true between husband and wife, it's true, it's true everywhere, work, with healing. Truly listening is difficult. And it is even more difficult to listen to God. It is difficult to listen to God because, you see, when God speaks to us, He is talking to us about things we don't want to hear. That's why it's so hard. It's always hard to listen to someone who's going to tell you something you don't want to hear. And with God, it's like that. When we hear read His Word, it's hard to listen to what He's saying to us. When His Word is preached, from this puppet, it's hard work for you to hear it. Because your natural self doesn't want to hear. But here is why this matters. it matters that we listen to God. Why? Because according to Jesus, the way you listen to God's word, this is important, the way you listen to God's word says something about the condition of your heart before God. And Jesus teaches us this truth in the parable of the sower, which we'll look at, as I said, over the next three sermons. This morning we're looking at Mark chapter 4, verse 1 to 9. Now, those of you who were here last Sunday evening, you remember that we left Jesus, where was he? At Peter's house, right? And now Jesus is on the move again. He is going outdoors. This is Capernaum. He's going by the Sea of Galilee and he's going to preach. Let's read verse 1 to 2. And Mark chapter four, verse one to two, and he began to teach beside the sea, and a very large crowd gathered about him, so that he got into a boat and sat in it on the sea. And the whole crowd was beside the sea, on the land. And he was teaching them many things in parables. Let's just pause there. We see here that a large crowd has gathered by the seashore. Jesus, as he's done before, has gone into the boat. Perhaps they are pressing him again, and, and he just needs to have a bit of room. He's not on the sea for better acoustics. Well, it is true, of course, that sound travels better on water, but that's not why he's in the boat. It's packed, and they demand on him to teach, and miracles particularly. He's huge. So he's got in there, because the crowd are excited. They've come for miracles as usual, and they're excited by some of the words Jesus is saying. They're not really interested that we'll see. But Standing by the way Jesus teaches shows he has authority. So he's attracting now a large crowd. If you like, they forced him from sitting inside the house, having church indoors. He now has to have it outside. And we see this in revivals when they break out. You know, you have long queues in churches and preachers are forced, wouldn't that be wonderful, are forced to abandon the building and teach outside. Now this crowd here is not really following Jesus. And Jesus knows this. They're just fascinated by him. And they want more miracles. Jesus knows this. So he tells them this parable, or a word picture, to teach us what it truly means to follow him. And that's what we're looking at over the next three sermons. And from verse 1 to 9, we can summarize this parable, really, with one single truth, which is this. True followers of Jesus listen to Jesus And bear lasting fruit. If you ask Jesus, what is a true follower? He would say this. He would say, A true follower is one who listens to me, who listens to God's word, and produce lasting fruit. Now let us look at this truth more closely. Let us walk through this parable a bit. Look at verse 3 there. Let's read verse 2. And he was teaching them many things in parables. And in his teaching, he said to them, uh, Verse 3 says, Listen, a sower went out to sow. So Jesus wants us to picture a sower who's going out to sow somewhere on a plot of land and is hoping for a bumper harvest. Now, you've got to try and picture this, okay? Because, of course, you buy your food from Lidl and, uh, and Sainsbury's, and it's all done by mechanized farming. So perhaps you have never seen a farmer in person. But a sower, there is such a thing as a farmer, and the farmer has gone out to sow, And he's sowing uh, the seed is hoping for that bumper harvest. He's just scattering it everywhere. Let's see what happens in the story. And let's read on verse three. Listen. So I went out to sow, and as he sowed, some seed fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured it. Other seed fell on rocky ground, where it did not have much soil, and immediately sprang up, since it had no depth of soil. And when the sun rose, it was scorched, and since it had no root, it withered away. Verse 7, other seed fell among thorns, and the thorns grew and choked it, and it yielded no grain. And other seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding. 30 fold and sixtyfold and 100 hundredfold. So here, you know the parable, some of you, and you see here that what we have here essentially are four soils, isn't it? There are four soils here, and Jesus later will say in verse 13 to verse 20 that these four different types of soils represent four different types of people who hear his preaching. We know he's talking about his preaching because the seed, particularly in verse 14, makes it clear that the seed is the word of God that Jesus is sowing, or that is preached by people that Jesus sent. So the seed is the word of God. So when we look at this seed being sown in these four different soils, what is happening to the soil is what happens when the word of God is preached. It is what is happening when Jesus himself is speaking to them right there and then. It is, it's amazing. It's almost like a commentary on his own sermon. And of course, it's a commentary on this sermon even here this morning. Now, this is important. <clears throat> when the word of God is preached, either by Jesus or the ministers he sends, it groups people into two categories. Now, I know there are four soils here, but actually there are really only two classes of people, two groups. We can group the results into two. Group number one has three different types of people who never produce lasting fruit. Some people in group one hear the preaching of the word of God, but their attention is elsewhere. (laughs) We might say the woman is being preached; they're on their mobile, perhaps, and just have not talked to their hands, (laughs) kind of thing. Or perhaps they hear, they fall asleep; it just passes them by perhaps they hear the word and they're thinking what should i wear for the christmas party at work their attention is elsewhere so they never take anything in they are there in verse 4. and as he sawed some seed fell along the path and the birds came other external things came and devoured it it's like they have not even heard other people in group one listen a bit more they hear the preaching of the word and they are interested a little bit. At the end of the sermon, they turn to the person next to them and say, Wasn't that interesting? That's amazing stuff. I didn't realize we get this stuff in church. That's amazing. But that's where all it ends. That's basically where it ends. It's been interesting to them, but it doesn't go beyond the doors. Immediately when they go, they don't hear. These are described in verse 5 to 6. Other sit fell on rocky ground where they didn't have much soil. So it's fallen, it doesn't take root. Immediately sprang up, since it had no depth. And when other things from the world come, the sun, things that would actually even make it grow more, it actually turns out to scorch it. And since it had no root, Jesus says, it withered away. There's another group, another, another, another class of people in this group, a third class of people. Other people listen to the message of Jesus. They are touched by the message. A bit more than those who are just interested halfway. They are really touched by Jesus. Uh, They leave the door of the church going home. I must get right with God. I must get serious about God. This is going to be serious business. And so they start attending church. Perhaps get involved in the life of the church. They do many other things. It looks like they have turned the corner. But then problems come in their lives and they lose interest. They lose complete interest. It's almost like what they had has had no lasting impact. These guys are described in verse 7. And the seed, among thorns, and the thorns grew and chopped it, and he yielded no grain. We're going to look at these soils in more depth next week. But the point I want to make to you this morning is that these three types of soils are really in one group. None of them have truly had underlying conversion. There is no lasting fruit. These are no three different types of Christians. These are no Christians at all. No truly converted people. The elephant is a wonderful, majestic animal. I think everyone should see the elephant at least once in their lifetime. I mean, if you see an elephant, it's amazing. If you see a pack of them, they're just wonderful. And one of the interesting things about elephants is that when it is windy, right, the dust, if you imagine a pack of elephants walking, when it's windy, the dust makes it very difficult for the baby elephant to keep in touch with the mother. So what happens is that when it's very windy, actually the two get separated, you know, the babies get left behind and the mother could be hundreds of meters away. So how do they stay in touch? Well, the way they stay in touch is that the baby elephant really, in order for the baby elephant to go in the right direction, uh, it has to, not only, has to not only go the right direction, but it has to keep, it has to look at the food trucks that the mother has left. That's the only way. It has to say, well, we are far away from mother. We can't see her. Mom is over there somewhere we can't see. It's windy. And the only way they will be guided to where the mom has gone is by looking at the food trucks that the mom has left. And, of course, elephants leave large foot trucks. Sadly, sometimes when the baby finds the food trucks, you see... It could be left by an, another elephant, which has gone a different direction. Maybe it was walking this way. And sometimes what happens is that when it sees the foot trucks, it ends up going completely the wrong direction. And when that happens, it might even lead to its own death. Because poachers come, they, they kill the elephants. Or other predators come and prey on these small baby elephants. It has followed the tracks. But he has not followed the man. It has gone in the wrong direction. And this is what's happening to the people in group one. In their own different ways, people in group one, some have followed a bit of the tracks. Some have done no tracking following at all. But they have all completely lost track because they are following the tracks rather than Jesus himself. And as I look across church in, in our fellowship, It is obvious that many of us go to church, attend fellowship, we celebrate Christmas and Easter, we even get involved in serving in the church. But we have to ask ourselves, are we truly following Jesus, or are we just following something about Jesus? The tracks. Uh, You look okay from the outside, but you have to ask yourself, are you following Jesus himself? The sad fact is many people attend church and they are not doing a walk of life. They are doing a walk of death because they follow things about Jesus rather than himself. True followers of Jesus walk in the same direction as Jesus. And how do we know how they look like? Well, they listen to the good news of Jesus and they produce lasting fruit. Like the people in group 2. Now group 2 is interesting. So if you are looking at this Bible for the first time with fresh eyes, you'll notice know an interesting thing. We've got two groups of people. But they're all, three is important in each of these three group, in each two groups. The first group has three different types of soils, which are non-lasting fruit. Then we've got one soil that produces a three-fold fruit, almost like three types of fruit in there. Uh, but this is all good, right? They are in verse 7. Look at them. Other seed fell among, uh, verse 8, sorry. Um, let's get that one right. Another seed seeds fell into good soil and produced grain, growing up and increasing and yielding a thirtyfold one harvest, sixtyfold two harvest, and a threefold. They are fruitful. And Jesus says in verse 9, and he said, He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Jesus is saying, these people are active listeners who truly welcome the good news. And they don't live in the threefold realm of unbelief. They live in the threefold realm of fruitfulness. They are true converts of His. They are true followers. Now, the tropics of New Guinea (laughs) cover 3% of F's land, okay? But it contains. Does anybody know the figure of organisms is contained? It contains 50% of the world's organism. Why is that? Just 3% but 50% of world's organisms. Why? The reason for that is that the vibrant wildlife there uh, and the insects that are there, the reason why that is, is because the sun shines over New Guinea all year round. At full mark, it just keeps there. Constant exposure to the life-giving power of the sun. And that has resulted in massive animal, insect, and plant life in that region. And as I thought about New Guinea, and I thought, in the same way, there's a lot of African illustrations today. Come this evening, you might hear about a village woman. Uh, the, 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 the interesting thing is that as I thought about that, I thought, in the same way, isn't it? When we hear the good news of Jesus, when we sit under his life-giving power all year round, when we have truly responded to the gospel, we can't help but grow. A fruitless person is not a failed Christian, but a false one. They are not a Christian at all. A true follower of Jesus is not a fruit tree. Is a fruit tree Not a Christmas tree, I'm meant to say. Alright? You're not meant to be a Christmas tree. You're meant to be a real tree that produces fruit that we can actually enjoy. So, if you're going to take away anything, realize that in the parable of the sower, there's only one Christian. And that's the fourth soil. And if you're not producing lasting fruit like that fourth soil, then you're not a true follower of Jesus. Fruit is evidence of the root. And so this raises an important question. What is this fruit that Jesus is expecting all true followers of Jesus to have? I think you're doing Bible study at home, you've got to ask that question. And at this point, you've got two options. One option is to jump to Galatians chapter 5 and read the fruit of the Spirit, right? People do that. Or you could let Jesus himself tell you here. You could let his words speak for themselves. And that's how we should read our Bible. We should say, what does this parable tell us about what the fruit is? And I think what will help you is to ask this parable a few questions. It will lead you to the answer. The first question you ask in this parable is, what seed is planted in the parable? What seed? The word of God, isn't it? The word of God. Mark 4.14. Which is really, by the way, the good news of Jesus. Okay? Where is it planted? It is in the hearts of people, isn't it? On the soil. We know that again from verse 13 to verse 20. What is produced by the good soil? The grain, isn't it? Or to put it another way, did you notice? One seed produces more seeds, or more of the good news of Jesus, or more of the word of God. Right? Can you see it now? Do you see the fruit? Right? Do you see it? This parable is teaching us, in this context, that the true fruit of followers of Jesus is not the only fruit, but the true fruit of the followers of Jesus is those that live to promote the good news of Jesus around them. And Mark, this for Mark, this is the key fruit. Mark isn't writing Galatians. Mark is writing Mark. And for Mark, this is the true fruit. We've seen it time and time again, and we'll see it again. As we read through Mark, we've seen what happens when Jesus calls his first followers. Turn with me to chapter one, uh, there, verse 16 to verse 17. These words are familiar to us. Just read those two verses. Passing alongside the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew and the brother of Simon casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. And he said to them, "Follow me, and I'll make you." Become fishes of men. If you like, you might also turn to First Thessalonians chapter one, verse five to eight. There we see the first the believers at Thessalonica come to faith in Jesus. And Paul says this in First Thessalonians chapter one, verse four to eight. Verse four to eight. He says this for we know, brothers, loved by God that He has chosen you. Because our gospel, good news, came to you, not only in word, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit. With full conviction, you know what kind of men we proved to be among you for your sake, and you became imitators of us and of the Lord. What, how? For you received the word in much affliction, with joy of the Holy Spirit, so that you did what you became an example to all the believers in Macedonia and Nicaea. What was the example the example they said, For not only as the word of God the word of the Lord sounded forth from you in Macedonia and Nicaea, But your faith in God has gone forth everywhere, so that we need not say anything. Your faith has put us out of employment, Paul is saying. Paul is looking at these believers who have just come to faith. The question that every pastor, every church member should ask when they share the gospel. How do I know this person loves Jesus? Jesus. Paul is asking this, but how do they know they love Jesus? And Paul's answer in First Thessalonians is that they are fruitful for the kingdom. Jesus has invented their lives and they cannot hide him. Jesus has come into their hearts. His power is reverberating in gospel stereo in their lives. They can't contain the good news. They want to share it with others. We go back to Mark, don't we? Mark chapter 1, verse 1 to 9. And we see there, particularly in verse 8, that that is what Jesus is saying is the fruit. And actually, if you read on, you read other, the parables that come, the parable of the lamb, the parable of the mustard seed. Keep reading on, you'll notice that these parables all make the same message. And the message is this, if you truly love Jesus, you live to draw other people to him. You can, it's not forcing it. You can't force it. It just happens. Because, you see, true followers want to see the word of God grow and multiply through their lives so that other people could come to see the Jesus they love. I did my first open-air preaching yesterday in the Broadway. And I was t- terrified. Maybe I had to... Barobo was just coming at that time. Perhaps you hadn't seen this. But uh, uh, Pastor Derek motioned to me and said, Go behind, pray a bit. So I went behind and, uh, and, I, and I did a quick prayer to the Lord. And then I preached. And afterwards, Pastor Derek came to me and said, you know, that he was encouraged by it, and he really encouraged me. And he says, you know, what? once you go there and start preaching, you see, you are fine, he said, because once you go there, the passion, the love for Jesus takes over. And your compassion for the people takes over. And I thought, that's the picture of this parable. Because all of us can't help if we love Jesus but to share him. Can't help but to... Tell people his good news. Do you recognize this gospel fruit in your life? Uh, do you live to make Jesus known? Do you have a passion for God to use you to draw others to him? Now, this is going to manifest itself in different ways in our lives. Not, every, not all of us are going to share the word with the same success, hundredfold. fold Not all of us are going to share make Jesus known in the same way. But is there that passion to make him known? These are painful questions, I know. These are difficult questions because perhaps you've grown up in church with the Galatians model of what true fruit is. But the entire Bible is talking about the same thing with different words. And so you must let Jesus speak to you this morning about what it truly means to be a believer. And he's saying a true believer is one who lives to draw others to him. So ask yourself, do you have this gospel fruit? If the answer is yes, then my sister, be confident in the Lord. My brother, thank him that he has truly saved you and will keep you until you see him. And how do you thank God for giving you this gospel fruit? Well, by daily watering the fruit of the gospel in our lives, isn't it? With the word of God. Uh, in secondary school, we all learned that plants grow through photosynthesis. The, the plant uses the, the sun's rays to convert carbon dioxide and water into growth-giving properties of sugar and oxygen. The plant is doing what? It's taking the light that is available and is doing something with it in order to make itself grow. And you would have heard me say, followers of Jesus should grow in the same way by what I call gospel synthesis. We continually expose ourselves to the light of the good news of Jesus by privately reading the word of God, by corporately coming to study the word of God during the week, by sitting under every preaching opportunity available to you in the life of the church. Because that is how we grow. That is the grace God has given you. This grace of His word. Gospel synthesis. This word of God being preached to you, even this morning, is God's grace to you, to enable you to live in a way that allows the gospel to shape your life. And if you're a true follower of Jesus, you show your thanks, isn't it, by prioritizing being present when it's being preached and studied in this world. In this, in this church. And I know as I look at some of you, I see people who have such gospel fruit. But I also see people who do not have this lasting fruit. And I think you should honestly look inside your hearts and, and ask yourself whether, yes, you've grown up with the Galatians model, but ask yourself about what the Lord is saying. Look inside your hearts do you have this desire to make Jesus known? Rico Tice told us in Christian to explore the quote that Brother Rob my brother Rob reminded us of as we watched that video on Thursday. I think he knows the quote probably better than I do but I paraphrase this what Rico Tice said. He says if the good news of Jesus is not the best news we have ever heard, we can be sure we have not heard it properly. If when you think of Jesus and his good news if it's not the best news you have ever heard then you can be sure you have not understood it. It has not yet captured you. So if you have no desire for Jesus to use you to advance his amazing good news, the reason is that you do not know the good news. You are like the lost baby elephant. Apologies. Apologies. Or using the illustration, but you are like, by the way, baby elephants are beautiful. But you are, you are like that because you are following the things of Jesus, yet you do not know Jesus. And Jesus, most importantly, does not know you. There's a lot of talk in our churches about people knowing Jesus, but do we ask ourselves whether Jesus knows you at all? I think for me the most important question is not whether I know Jesus, whether he knows me, whether he can say Chola is my child. And do I have this confidence he can do that? The confidence comes from knowing that I can see this fruit in my life. And if you know you can't see this fruit, well, you must urgently come to Jesus and surrender your life to him. If there has been some fruit of that in the past, then come, repent afresh. If you have trees under to Him, allow Jesus to make this fruit known more in your life. But if it's not there at all, then repent, friends. Come to saving faith now. On April 15th, 1912, the Titanic sank to the bottom of the North Atlantic Oceans. We've all seen the movie, haven't we? By historians, you know what they tell us? They tell us it go have been avoided because ships, you see, traveling in the area sent many warning signals. They pointed out to the Titanic that there were dangerous icebergs in front of them. They were sent three messages over the course, these messages, sorry, more than three, many of them, over the course of 14 hours. So the Titanic received the first warning from the British ship, Caronia, at 9 a.m., the morning before it sank. Then a Greek ship at 1.45 the morning before. The Greek ship at 1.45 p.m. Three minutes later, a German ship called the America, interesting name, sent a message that it had passed two large icebergs. And other warnings came at 7.30 p.m. and 9.40 p.m. Why did these warning messages fail? Well, the same historians the experts, tell us the reason is that the radio operators were preoccupied. You see, they were sending their own messages to a radio tower in Cape Race, Canada, who then relayed the message to New York City. So they were busy. So, for example, the Californian sent out a final warning to the t- Titanic at 10.30 p.m. But the Titanic radio operator, Jack Phillips, cut it off. Do you know what he said? Do you know? Does anyone. Huh? Yeah, shut up. Let me be clear. Shut up. shut up. Shut up. you. Shut up. Shut up. I am busy working care press. Don't bother me, but I'm more stronger than that. He said, shut up. You see, despite all these words of warning, the Titanic continued at almost top speed until he tracked a fatal iceberg one hour and ten minutes later, after, the last warning from, after that warning from the California, You see, although Jack Phillips heard the words of warning, he did not recognize the significance of those words, he ignored them, and they had no effect, no effect on his actions, or the actions of the rest of the Titanic crew. Now I don't know when you read that story, when you hear it, how you react. I mean, I think it is easy for us to react and say, "What fools! Eh? How could they ignore such warnings?" But friends, don't you do the same thing every week? Don't you defy the living God every week? Don't you ignore many sermons preached from this pulpit? Has God not given you 29 sermons from Mark already? Time and time again God is warning you to surrender to him. To truly live a life that honors him. Not by works, but genuine repentance. How many sermons will you hear about what it truly means to be a follower of Jesus? How many sermons do you need about what true faith looks like? You have heard them. Has it changed you? Have you gone home kneeling before God and crying out, Oh Lord Jesus, have mercy on me. Unclean, unclean, Lord, help me. Of course not. Like Jack Phillips, you see other things as more important than the word of God. You're like, Chola, shut up, shut up. Or maybe not me, but another person preaching from here. That the great sermons in Romans 8, didn't we? My brother Wally preached on that. By the love of Christ that we can never be separated from in November. Did that message transform how you live? Did, did that make you want to trust Jesus? And if, you, if you're living, if you have never come to true faith, has, has, has it made you born again? Have you come to Him? And I think it's the mercy of God that Despite you rejecting all these messages, his boundless message still abounds for sinners. And this morning he's given you yet another warning. He's saying, change course and follow me. Turn to me and be truly saved. Friend, he says, Jesus is saying to you, accept that you lack the fruit of a truly converted person. Accept that you cannot save yourself from sin and Satan. Accept that your good deeds are like filthy rags. Accept that the death of Jesus is the only way to be reunited to God our Father like those baby elephants. He's dead. He's the only way, friends. Don't be like Jack Phillips. Don't lean on church membership. Don't lean on baptism. Don't lean on church attendance. Do you have the fruit? Do you have true faith in him? Because if you refuse, like Jack Phillips, disaster words. Except in your case, it's not a high speck. It is everlasting condemnation. This morning, come before Jesus. Ask Jesus to forgive you of your sin and give you a new life and live forever with him. He will save you, because His grace abounds for sinners. Amen.